to Genesis chapter 31. We're working our way through Genesis verse by verse. That's really the best way for you to learn the Bible. Uh, actually, for me to, to teach the Bible, just verse by verse. I don't have to come up with a theme and, and work the scriptures out. I just follow the word of God, and this is how we learn. This is how we grow. So we're in Genesis chapter 31, and we're learning, and it's been a couple of weeks. Last week, we had uh, the Wednesday night off for a week of prayer, but we're learning about Jacob, Jacob, the son of Isaac, the promised son, Isaac, the promised son. Abraham finally had a son, God's promise. And all the inheritance, all the blessings, and the lineage of of Messiah is going to come through him. That's why it's important to study this man. But as we've learned with Abraham and Isaac, and now with Jacob, they're spiritually inept. They're struggling. They have a long way to go. And God is teaching them through all kinds of things in their lives. And the other thing that we're learning in in all of their lives is that the things that they've done, the sowing of the seeds in their life that have been bad and poor and spiritually wrong, they're reaping those in their lives. So again, these are things that we can learn by looking at these men. God has put these stories in the Bible. Uh, We're in looking at the man Jacob and a very, uh, uh, he's a con man. His name means con man. He's heel catcher. He's, He's a swindler. But the swindler gets swindled by Uncle Laban, as you remember. When we got to chapter 29, we discovered he got swindled because he goes to meet his uncle, and his uncle makes him work seven years for Rachel. And then on his wedding night, Uncle Laban switches girls. He gives his firstborn, Leah, to him. Wild cow, lest I mention. Her name meant that. That's why I say that. Her meant... Poor Leah, she had weak eyes, and, and, uh, and, and Jacob wakes up with a wrong, like a sister-in-law as his wife, legally married. And so he has to work longer to get, to get Rachel. That's what we've been following the story. And, and during this time, there's seven years where we studied in chapter 30 where they have children. And these two women kind of battle with the babies, you know, and they want to have as many as they can. Rachel finally gives her handmaid. Um, I'm not sure Zilpah or the other one, but he, she gives her handmaid to Jacob, and it's just a mixed-up family, and these kids are coming, and there's a battle going on. And we learn from that that Jacob's life is not perfect. And, and again, I, I mean, I'm, I don't like studying a, a dysfunctional family per se, but I do like this, that this Bible teaches that these people were real. And that God is going to use these people, ordinary people, for extraordinary work. And again, we learn that from looking at Jacob's life. And so here we are in chapter 31. And at the end of chapter 30, Jacob is finally going to leave. He's finally going to leave um, this time and period that he's been with his uncle Laban. And before he leaves, let's look at verse 43 of chapter 30 real quick before we pray. But look at verse 43 of chapter 30. This is where Jacob is financially. Thus, he became exceedingly prosperous. He had large flocks, female and male servants, camels, and donkeys. So while he's living with his uncle, God is blessing him. Why? Because God promised to do that. And even though he's a failure, even though he struggles spiritually, God is blessing him, blessing him, because we have a blessing God. God blesses me. I've done things that were wrong, and God's blessed me. 
I'm sure you can see things in your life where God has blessed you and prospered you when you should have failed. And we see that in Jacob's life as well. So Jacob now, he's worked hard for his uncle Laban. God has blessed him. And now now not only is Laban rich, but Jacob has a lot as well. So Laban really, at this point in time, we've learned he's a swindler. He's a con man. He doesn't care about his daughters. He traded them off for wages. He's He's selfish in everything that he does. And he does not want Jacob to leave. And that's where we meet Jacob here in chapter 31, verse 1. So let's ask God's blessing and we'll read this text. Father, teach us from your word tonight. And Lord, more than just a story, I pray that we would learn some things, valuable lessons for our lives, things that we can apply in our lives as well. So teach us from your word, we pray in Jesus. Amen. We begin with Jacob's fear. My first point, Jacob's fear. Notice in verse 1, now Jacob, he heard the words of Laban's sons saying, Jacob has taken away all that our fathers and from what our fathers has, and he's required all of his wealth. He's taking and stealing from dad. Jacob saw the countenance of Laban. Up until this point, Laban's been favorable toward him, but notice he sees his countenance, and indeed it was not favorable toward him as before. Then, verse 3, the Lord said to Jacob, it's time to leave. Return to the land of your fathers and to your family, and I'll be with you. So Jacob sent, and he called Rachel and Leah to the field. They didn't talk in the tent. They went out to the field, to his flock, and he has this meeting with his two wives. I see your father's countenance that it is not favorable toward me as before, but the God of my father has been with me. And you know that with all my might I have served your father, yet your father has deceived me and charged me my wages ten times. He changed me, pardon me, wages ten times, but God did not allow him to hurt me. If he said thus, verse 8, the speckled shall be your wages, then all the flocks bore speckled. And if he said thus, the streaked shall be your wages, then all the flocks bore streaked. In other words, God's prospering me. Remember the episode at the end of chapter 30, all the, the, the boards and the, the, the um, upright stakes that he put in the ground around the, the water troughs. That's the end of 30. And we kind of, what, what does all that have to do with anything? God was giving him instruction and then God was prospering him. So he's saying, hey, well, I, all I did was do my job and, and God is the one that prospered. If, 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 Lab, if uh, Laban told me that my wages would be all the, the speckle that nobody wanted to buy, the worthless ones, Then God prospered me, and they were all born speckled. So he's saying, God has always uh, prospered me. So God has taken away the livestock of your father and given them to me. So he's talking to his wives, and he's saying, look how God's prospered us. God is doing all this work. Verse 10, and it happened at the time when the flocks conceived that I lifted up my eyes, and, and I saw in a dream, and behold, the rams which leapt upon the flocks were streaked, speckled, and gray spotted. So God shows them this vision and that during the breeding time that they're all going to be the same. The speckled, the, all the, the ones that were supposed to be the outcast ones are going to be now his herd, and he's going to be prosperous. God is showing him that. So he works 14 years. This is interesting for Rachel. He works the first seven years for Rachel, gets Leah. He works 14 more years. He's, he's honest at this point. He's learning to, to do the right thing. He's got a little bit of integrity, even though he's a con man, a swindler. That's what, that's what he's learned from his mom, right? He learned all that from his mom, Rebecca. 
to swindle, to lie to your dad, and all those things. And now he's learning integrity. That's what we're to see here. And he's done this 14 years of work for payment of his wives. And then Jacob asks Laban now to let him go back home. In Genesis 30, verses 25 through 30, he's asked him that. But Laban wants Jacob to stay because he doesn't want to lose his cash cow, if you will. He didn't want to lose all the money. God's blessing, Jacob, and Laban sees it, and Laban's making a killing. He's making money off of this, and he doesn't want to lose his nephew, Jacob. Notice it said Jacob sees Laban, his expression. He, he says, I got to go, and, and he, now he thinks things are changing there, chapter 31. Things are starting to change. He looks, he hears from his sons and they're talking bad about him. And then he looks at his uncle Laban, who's always been, how are you doing, my adopted son? How are you doing? I love you. And what's, what's new how, on the financial front? How much money have you made for me this month or whatever? But now he's looking at him like, oh, I don't like you anymore. His countenance, verse 2, was not favorable like before. And then in verse 8, even though Laban wants all the healthy sheep for himself, Jacob says that God was, was working out all the details in the, in the breeding, and he's going to get all this other, uh, the, the, the livestock, and he's, his herd is increasing. Here's the point. And here's the reason we study all this, because you might look at that and go, okay, okay, it's a story, and I, uh, why do we have to read this, or why do we have to go through all this? We're, we're watching as Jacob goes through the hardships in his life, as God begins to work character in him. That's what we're seeing in this story. God is working something out special in him. He's gonna take this guy that's pretty hardcore, very selfish, born in a very rich home. Isaac was a rich man too. And he had everything. Remember, he lived in the house. He didn't go in the field and work for stuff. He lived with his mom. And so he's kind of a, a mama's boy in a sense. And he, he's got everything been given to him. But now he's gotta work hard. He's working hard for his wife. He's learning, God is, is honing, God is shaping, God is working on him to make him softer. He's, God is preparing him through all these life experiences because God has a place that he wants him to be. And it's the same with you and I, if you really think about it. God doesn't withhold trials or hardships from us as his children. In fact, the opposite is true. You read Hebrews and you'll discover that, that God chastens all that he calls his children. In other words, he allows things to come into our lives that are not comfortable. Trials, hardships, sicknesses. Uh, last week we were praying for Pastor Terry Lebo's wife, Debbie. And she has colon cancer. And so we're praying for her and we're asking God. And the whole church over there, Calvary Rialto, they're praying for their the pastor's wife, and uh, Terry's first wife died in 2003 of cancer. And now his, his wife, Esther and I know Debbie very well, and she's got colon cancer. So we need to keep praying for them. But why would God allow that? You, you wonder, you question, but there's a purpose. And, and I've talked to Terry, I talked to him yesterday, and he says, you know, I'm not comfortable and I don't like it, but I know God's in control. That I, I, I serve a loving God, a sovereign God. And he's, he's going to take us through this. There's a reason for this. And so the same thing with Jacob, same thing for you and I. I'll make some application at the end of our study. But here in verse 11, we begin this, this miraculously 
uh, I, I would say, pardon me, miraculous birthing of uh, the herd, his herd. Is, it's a miracle. God is doing something here with these striped and speckled goats. We read about that back in chapter 30. And here's the explanation here. And I call it Jacob's obedience uh, to God here. But notice in verse 11, then the angel of God spoke to me in a dream saying, Jacob. And I said, here I am. So he's listening to God. This is an important point in his life. And he said, lift up your eyes now and see all the rams which leap on the flocks are streaked, speckled, gray, and spotted. For I have seen all that Laban is doing to you. I am the God of Bethel, where you anointed the pillar and where you made a vow to me. Now arise and get out of this land and return to the land of your family. So this is the second time he's told him to get up and leave. He's told him that back in chapter 30, and God's told him again he hears him this time. Jacob is listening to God, and he's going to be more obedient this time. And he's going to be obedient to his command. But I love what he says. Here I am. This is the first time he is acknowledging and he's listening uh, to God here. Again, just proves that Jacob is learning. He's growing. He's not perfectly, totally obedient here, but he's learning here. And Jacob, he's worked really hard for Uncle Laban. And uh, Laban has been ripping him off uh, this whole time. And uh, Rachel and Leah, they now understand the truth about their dad. Look at verse 14. Then Rachel and Leah answered and said. So he's explained all these things to his wives. And then they answered, is there still any portion of our inheritance from our father's house? What about our dowry? The money that we're supposed to my dad's filthy rich. Has he given you any money for us? Is what they're asking. Are we not considered strangers by him? I mean, he, he doesn't know our name. He doesn't acknowledge us. We're his daughters. We're, we're like strangers to him. You see her, her complaint. For he has sold us and also completely spent our money. For all these riches which God has taken from our father are really ours. And they're for our children. Now then, whatever God has said to you, Jacob... You need to do it. God tells you to leave. We're ready. We're ready to go because our dad, he, he's just selfish. He's self-centered. He's not looking out for us. So Rachel, they know their dad's a swindler. He's, oh, that's all he cares about is himself. He's used the money for himself. There's been no dowry at all. So after working 20 years now, it's been 20. First 14 for the two girls. And then another six years, he worked with the sheep, you know, to make sure that, that uh, Laban had everything... He's done everything right. He talks to his wives, sees resentment in the sons, sees the change in countenance on Laban's face, and hears from God. It's time to go. So now he's going to go, but notice he's not going completely obediently by faith. Here's my next point. Jacob leaves Haran secretly, verse 17. Then Jacob rose and set his sons and his wives on camels. And he carried away all his livestock and all his possessions which he had gained. His acquired livestock which he had gained in Padan Aram or Haran, same place, to go to his father Isaac in the land of Canaan. Now Laban, verse 19, had gone to shear his sheep and Rachel had stolen the household idols that were her father's. Make note of that. And Jacob stole away, unknown to Laban, the Syrians. So he, he sneaks off in the middle of the night. He leaves with his family and all his, his herds. But, but his wife has stolen something that belonged to, to uh, his uncle Laban. 
and her father. So he fled, verse 21, with all that he had. He rose and crossed the river and headed toward the mountains of Gilead. So Jacob and his whole family and the whole, all his things, they, they take off. They leave without talking to Laban. And Rachel steals her father's images. Now, here's what you need to know about those images, those gods that were in the house. They represented something very important to these people in their culture. They represented the inheritance of the family. They were like the, the hallmark of the family. They, they represented the riches, and whoever had them had the birthright. So when Uncle Laban dies, when Laban's going to die, those gods, those idols, those images would go to the firstborn. And that would represent the inheritance would go to that child. Up until this point in time, Jacob was Laban's, you know, special son, adopted son in a sense, not anymore. Rachel knows that. So she takes the gods. Why? Because this is, she, she knows she's been ripped off her inheritance. Her dower has been taken. And so she wants to make sure that she's going to get maybe some wealth later on down the road. It's kind of a sneaky way. But I'm going to show you how this ties in with the story. We'll just keep that in mind again. But these household gods are stolen by Rachel. And they're her inheritance or the inheritance of the family. So now Laban, because his household gods are gone. And make note of that. Not the kids, not the grandchildren, not the family. Verse 22, he's going to pursue Jacob. And Laban was told on the third day that Jacob had fled. So three days head start here. Then he took his brethren with him. So he puts together a little force. He pursued Jacob for seven days journey. And then he overtook him in the mountain of Gilead there. But God had come to Laban, the Syrian, in a dream by night. So here's God's protection. I love this. And so God warns him. He says, be careful that you speak to Jacob, neither good or bad. You better be careful what you say. This is my chosen. Now, keep in mind that Laban is, represents unsaved, somebody in the world, somebody of no faith. He's an idol worshiper. And I love the fact God can turn the mind, the heart of anybody. God protects his own. And he's protecting his, uh, his chosen one here, Jacob, right now. He says, be careful, don't you, don't you say anything bad. So Laban, he is mad. He's coming after his once, you know, favored adopted son, Jacob, but now he's mad. He, he's going to do harm to him. It doesn't say he's going to kill him, but he's, he's coming after him. He's upset, and God knows it. He says, you better not touch him. You better not say good or bad to him. And so there's this, this pursuit, and I love this truth about God sovereignly working. And here's the truth for you and I. There's nothing that can happen to you as a child of God unless the Lord knows about it. But, but what about these bad things happening all around me? God knows about them. God can use those things in your life. He can use them in, in the world. He, he has a purpose. He has a plan. God is always watching. He always knows. And in this case, obviously, right? It's obvious. And he protects. That's the point here. He's protecting Jacob. So in your life, I don't know what it is. I don't know what hardship, trial, sickness that you face. But you know this. God knows. And God's going to protect you. And you'll not live 
one day later, and you're not going to die one day sooner than God has planned for your life. God is sovereign. Again, he's protecting him in a a sovereign way. He's got a plan. He's teaching Jacob. He's using these situations in his life to train him. Verse 25, so Laban overtook Jacob. Now, Jacob had pitched his tent in the mountains, and Laban and his brethren pitched in the mountains of Gilead. And Laban said to Jacob, so here's their confrontation. What have you done? That you've stolen away, unknown to me, and carried away my daughters like captives, taken by a sword. Why did you flee away secretly and steal away from me and not tell me? For I might have sent you away with, with joy and with songs and with timbrel and heart. We would have had a party. I don't believe it. When I read that, he's a swindler. He's a con man, right? He's only thinking about himself. But he says, why would you do this? Why would you leave? And I would have thrown you a big party for the family. And and then he says, verse 28, and you did not allow me to kiss my sons and my daughter. Now you've done a foolish thing. (laughs) You didn't even let me kiss my daughters goodbye. The girls, he's a stranger, does he? Hardly comes around. Oh, I wanted to kiss my daughters goodbye. Interesting. Laban. He pretends that the reason he followed was to say goodbye here. He's a model grandpa. He wanted to see his grandkids and kiss his daughters goodbye. That's the the inference here. But the real reason is that he wants his household gods, these little idols here. Notice verse 29. It is in my power to do you harm, but the God of your father spoke to me last night saying, be careful that you speak to Jacob, neither good or bad. And now you have surely gone because... You greatly long for your father's house, but why did you steal my gods? Why did you take them? That's the real reason. That's why he came after him. Verse 31, then Jacob answered and said to Laban, because I was afraid. I was afraid of you. I had fear. I was afraid you wouldn't let me go. I was afraid you'd take the things that I've earned. I I worked 20 years And you wouldn't let me go. You wouldn't bless me. I just took off. I was afraid. For I said, perhaps you would take your daughters from me by force. Verse 32, with whomever you find your gods, do not let let him live. So if you find these gods, I didn't take them. If you find them, then kill whoever's taken your gods. In the presence of our brethren, identify what I have of yours and take it with you. For Jacob did not know that Rachel had stolen them. He doesn't know. So he says, hey, I didn't take your gods. I just took what was rightfully mine. He's, he's moving in this, this uh, place of honesty now. He, not perfectly honest, but, but he's learning. God's teaching him. And he said, I, I didn't take your gods. I don't know anything about these gods of yours. But if someone from our entourage here took your gods, then you can do whatever you want. You can take their life. Again, Laban doesn't care about his grand children. All he cares about is his idols. Why? Because they represent his wealth. And if he dies without his idols, then his wealth is going to be dispersed, not to the firstborn, not to where he wants it to go. He wants control over that. It's, it's the equivalent of the birthright that was stolen from Isaac by who? Jacob. Sound familiar? Interesting. 
reaping what you've sown. God's using these situations to mold and shape him. I love this story. Again, Jacob, he doesn't know Rachel's taken anything, but she's the thief here in the story. So Laban, I, I love this. He, he doesn't go to Rachel's tent. He doesn't go to one of the servants' tents. Notice where he goes first, because this is who he thought took him. And Laban went into Jacob's tent. He doesn't like him. His countenance changed. He doesn't trust him at all. He goes right to Jacob's tent, into Leah's tent, and into the two maids' tents. So he starts Jacob, and he goes through the, all these, the, you know, his, his family's tent there, his close wife's tents. And then he went out of Leah's tent and entered Rachel's tent. Now, Rachel had taken the household idols and put them in the camel's saddle, and she sat on them. And Laban searched all around the tent, but he didn't find him. How long did he? I mean, he, had, he was looking under the lamb and the sheep and all through the tents. He's looking everywhere. He's trying to find his household idols there. And so he, she couldn't, he couldn't find him. And then verse 35, and she said to her father, so he looks everywhere and finally looks at Rachel. Rachel, do you know where my gods are? And notice that she said, let it not displease my Lord that I can't get down and bow before you that I can't get off the camel right now because I'm on my menstrual period. Notice that. The manner of woman is with me. She's on her, her cycle. Dad, I'm on my cycle. I can't really leave the camel right now. Leave me alone. Interesting. Well, a liar. Another liar, right? And he searched but did not find the household aisle. So he looked everywhere, but she was sitting on them. They're on the camel's bags, and she's sitting on top and says, I can't get up because... So her excuse here, very interesting. And then the, the household God, they represent the family inheritance, and that's the important thing. Just like Jacob stole his brother's birthright, Rachel is now stealing the birthright of her family. This, this family, they're, they're interesting. And I believe that God is speaking very loud and very clear. And although Jacob doesn't get it yet, he's going to get it. He's going to understand it all. Verse 36, we come to this challenge. Now, Jacob's going to challenge all the things that Laban's just said. Look at verse 36. Then Jacob was angry. So he's mad now. You've accused me. You've said I'm a thief. You didn't find any idols. You didn't treat me right. I was with you 20 years. Notice what he says. He's mad. He's rebuking Laban. Jacob answered and said, what is my trespass? What is my sin that you have so hotly pursued me? Although you have searched all my things, what part of your household things have you found? Set it here before my brethren and your brethren that I may judge or they may judge between us both to see who's the righteous person here. These 20 years I have been with you. Your ewes and your female goats have not miscarried their young, and I have not eaten the rams of your flock. That which was torn by beasts I did not bring to you. I was the one that bore loss of it. I paid you back for any that you lost. I, I've been upstanding. I've been a man of integrity around you. Why are you doing this to me? He said, you required it from my hand, whether stolen by day or night. There I was, verse 40. In the day that drought consumed me and the frost at night. In other words, I was out in the field night and day, winter and summer. It was hot. It was cold. I was out there working for you. What are you doing? He's really upset. You can tell. 
Thus I have been in your house 20 years, verse 41. I served you 14 years for your two daughters and six years for your flock, and you've changed my wages 10 times. You keep changing it on me, changing it. I'm tired of this. I've done my best. I've worked hard for everything that I have right now is mine. I've earned all these things. It's interesting. He's, he just kind of blew his top here, and he's, he's saying all these things. I, I've been faithful for all these years, and, and it's almost like... I haven't complained up till now, but, but I can't stand it anymore. And so he, he gets everything off his chest in a sense. And then notice here, he caps off his defense by saying God is on his side. I love this, verse 42. Unless the God of my father, the God of Abraham, and the fear of Isaac had been with me, surely now you would have sent me away empty-handed. But God has seen my affliction and the labor of my hands and he rebuked you last night. It's all evident. And he throws it all, he just throws it right back at him. I, I love that. He's standing, standing up really for, for what he knows to be true. So notice here how Laban, this is interesting. He does, it's like he wasn't even there. He's in total denial of this whole thing now. Uncle Laban, the, the con man here. The, notice what he does in verse 43. Laban answered and said to Jacob, these daughters are mine. These children are my children. This flock is my flock. All that you see is mine. But what can I do this day to these my daughters or to their children whom they have born? Now, therefore, come and let us make a covenant. See, he was told and warned by God, you better not do this. You better not even cross the line. So he wants to cross the line, you can tell. These are mine. It's all mine. And then he, he remembers what God says to him. He says, oh, I guess I can't do anything or I'm toast. He just goes right, he goes right up to the line. And so he, this pagan man, this man that's, that has no faith in God, he's going to make a covenant now. This is interesting, this covenant of peace. And it comes from Laban. Laban, again, his goal was to get his household idols back. And they represent that fortune, but he can't find them. He's got nothing really to do. He, he's, he's, he's got nothing. And they're, they're leaving. The whole family's leaving. So now all he can do is make a covenant. Verse 45, so Jacob took a stone and he set it up as a pillar. Then Jacob said to the brethren, gather more stones. So they took stones and they made a pile, a heap. And they ate there on the heap. So they make a covenant and they have a camp out or a cookout, you know, over this, this pile, this pillar that's going to establish a line that Jacob is not to cross and come back, that Laban is not to cross and come and try to get the inheritance. There, he's, Laban is, he's just trying to protect his inheritance. I can't find my gods. I think you stole them. But to make sure that you don't get back here and bring those gods at a later time, I want to build a pillar and I want everybody to know this. So they build this thing and they have this meal uh, during that time. So Jacob took a stone, set it as a pillar. Jacob said to his brethren, gather stones. So they build it. And then Laban called it, this is interesting, it's Yegar Shadatothah. And it means, all it means in their Syrian dialect, it means a witness heap. It's a witness pile. But Jacob called it uh, Gilead or Galade. It's pronounced a different way, but Gilead is the way we pronounce it. And it uh, means really the same thing. 
And Laban said, this heap is a witness between you and me this day. Therefore, its name was called Gilead. Also, Mizpah. Mizpah means watchtower. So they're building a little watchtower. So you don't cross this line and I don't cross this line. And, and Laban can't say anything bad. God's warned him he can't do it. So they just build this thing. You don't go across that and I won't go across that. That's their, their covenant there. And then he says this, may the Lord watch between you and me when we are absent from one another. If you afflict my daughters, Laban says, or if you take other wives besides my daughters, although no man is with us, God's going to see you. Isn't that interesting? He's, this guy has his own gods and idols. He's an idol worshiper, but he's the one that does the covenant. And he's the one that says, your God. Why? Because Jacob's God came to him and warned him, and he knows he's real. And so he says, your, your God's been watching me, and he's going to watch you. This is the covenant that I want to make with you, and that's the witness. I, a really interesting covenant that they make there. So these guys are standing toe-to-toe. I worked for you 20 years. And he goes, these are my kids. And I mean, they're going, to, they're going at it. And they finally just build this pillar, and they settle their difference with this pillar of separation Then Laban, verse 21, said to Jacob, here is the heap or the pillar which I have placed between you and me. The heap is a witness and the pillar is a witness that I will not pass beyond this heap to you and you will not pass beyond this pillar to me for harm. The God of Abraham, verse 53, and the God of Nahor and the God of their father judge between us. And Jacob swore by the fear of his father Isaac. Then Jacob offered a sacrifice on the mountain and called it, called his brethren to eat bread. And they ate bread and stayed all night on the mountain. And early in the morning, Laban rose and he kissed his son. So he's finally going to say goodbye. He kissed his sons and daughters and blessed them. Then Laban departed and returned to his place. So there's the end of the story here. There's a peaceful goodbye and we're done with Laban. We don't hear about him. There's no more record of, of Laban in the Bible. But we're learning, again, in this story, you say, what, what is the story about? We're learning how uh, Jacob is growing in faith. He's learning. He's got trials. There's difficult things. He's beginning to obey God. He's beginning to hear God. That's, that's what we're learning here as we're seeing this story. Even though he faltered and didn't trust God completely by leaving at night, you know, he should have just got his people and said, Laban, we're out of here. I'm trusting God. But he didn't. He snuck away. So he's not totally obedient yet, but he's learning obedience. He worked hard. He he was a man of integrity. He worked seven years for his wife, worked seven more for the other wife, worked six more for all his possessions. So he was showing some signs of honesty there. And another thing this story teaches us, and and I want to make this point. I think this is important. God protected him from danger. And just as he protected Jacob from danger, he protects you and I from danger. Here's the application, I believe, from this story. This is how God protects us from danger. When you read it, you should read it and see that there's, there's truth here. And just as God does this for this man, he'll, he can do the same for you and for me. When you read the Bible, you should read it that way. Um, read it to observe, read it and interpret, think about what it means, and then make some application. 
I hope that I do that for you. I try to tell stories or I try to make out, this is what we're doing now. This is application. So, so what? Now we have the story. What do we do with the story? Notice in verse 31, go back to verse 31. When Laban asked Jacob why he ran off, notice his response. Jacob said, because I was, notice, afraid. I'm, I, I, I'm afraid. It was fear that was driving him at that point in time. But throughout this passage, I want to show you something else. God is protecting him. He can protect you, but notice how he protects Jacob here over and over again. It's verse 2. Notice first we see, and go back to verse 2. I'll do this quickly. Jacob saw the countenance of Laban, and indeed it was not favorable toward him as it was before. So he sees, here's the, the sons talk about things, and he sees the countenance. So he's starting to fear. He's worried about his standing there in this house and his job and his, all these things. He's worried about that. And then look at verse 5. I see your father's countenance that is not favorable toward me as before. But the God of my father has been with me. So there it is. God, God is going to protect him. He just has to trust God. He's not completely trusting God. He's not totally obedient to God at this point, but he recognizes that. And then verse um, seven, verse seven, yet your father has deceived me and changed my wages 10 times, but God did not allow him to hurt me. So he's acknowledging that God's working in his life. You notice that? That hasn't happened before. And so it's important to see that. And then jump down to verse 29. Verse 29, it is in my power to do you harm, but the God of your father spoke to me last night saying, be careful, don't say anything bad. So again, God is protecting Jacob. There's no doubt that during the fear of Jacob, God is there. Again, how do I apply this? Well, have you ever been fearful? And if you haven't been real fearful, you will be in your lifetime. Maybe it's a child. You're fearful for your child. Remember when my kids were growing up and we didn't have contact or, or there was an accident. Just recently, my son you know, was in an accident, it was last year, he was in an accident. I get a phone call. And I just, my, I've got the baby in the car and the car is just, oh no, it, it brings fear. Or maybe you hear the diagnosis of cancer or, or something and you have fear. And you have to realize that God is always around. He, he, he will protect, just like he protected Jacob. Jacob's faith wavered, but God was always there to protect. And, and here's this application that I want to make. The question would be, how does God protect me today? I read the story of Jacob, but how does God protect me today so, so that I, I don't have to fear anything or anyone? How, how do I get to a place where I, I'm not there? Now, obviously, very, I need to say this carefully, God does allow things in our lives, trials, sickness. He does allow that, but he's always there. He's always watching. You have to remember that, Christian. He's always there. And, and I want to end our teaching tonight by having you turn to Romans 8. Turn over to Romans 8. I'll put the text here. You know this verse, Romans 8, 28. But I want to make application using this verse and the story that God will always watch, that God will always protect. And I want, I want, to, I want to show you how uh, Paul's description, this verse that we all know, this is a verse, by the way, that you should be very, very careful when you say it to someone. 
If someone loses a, a family member, or if someone has uh, been going years through a sickness or illness, don't go to them and just throw this verse at them. Don't do that. I'm telling you, it hurts people. I, I've done it before, and I can tell you that it hurts people. You can think it, you can pray it, but be very, very careful to not just walk up to somebody and glibly say, you know, like, you know it all, and say, all things work together for good. I mean, if you're in the middle of a sickness, that is the last thing you want to hear. What you want to hear is you want to have sympathy, right? You want somebody to say, hey, I'm so sorry. I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to stand with you through this. But just be careful when you use this verse. But, but let's look at this verse really quick. This is my application uh, tonight. And we know all things work together, Paul writes in verse 28 of Romans 8, for good to those who love God and to those who are called according to his purpose. For whom he foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he predestined, these he called. And who he called, he also justified. And whom he justified, these also glorified. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? That's the point here. We have a mighty God that, that will, he's going to lead us through the trial, through the difficulty, through the sickness. He'll never leave us. He'll never forsake us. He'll go through the fire, through the water, through the storm. God is with us. That's what Paul is saying here. And he says, verse 32, he who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him? Also freely give us all things. Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It's God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? It's Christ who died and furthermore is also risen. Who is even at the right hand of God who also makes intercession for us? And then he makes this claim. Look at this. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall your trial separate you? How about distress? Persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, or sword. As it is written, for your sakes, we're killed all the day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Bottom line, nothing, nothing. Just as God was protecting Jacob, as he's learning to have faith in God and obedience. I don't know where you are in your Christian life. You might be Christian longer than me, 40-some years. I'm still learning. I'm still growing. You're still growing as well. And as you go through these difficult things, you have to always remember that God has a purpose, God has a plan, and God knows what you're going through. He's going to protect you. Nothing can separate you from his love. Nothing, trials, hardships, sickness, nothing. God is going to protect you from danger. He's going to protect you. Now, that doesn't mean you do dumb things. It doesn't mean you drive on the wrong side of the freeway. Doesn't, you know, it doesn't mean you tempt the Lord with your life and just do crazy stuff. You know, I'm going to bungee jump without tying my legs on the thing you know, and see if God protects me. I mean, that's just foolishness. 
We, we have to be wise in what we do, but there's nothing that can harm the child of God because God protects us just like he protected Jacob. He had fear, but God protected him. And how did God lead Jacob through this whole thing? First, he said, I, I want you to leave, but, but he wasn't totally obedient. And then, and then God allows him to get really uncomfortable. Fear, and then the challenge of, of Laban, nose-to-nose challenge. You stole something from me. I'm going to do you harm, but I can't because God told me not to. But I'm really mad, you know. And all that brought upset in his heart. God is doing something in his life through these situations, making him uncomfortable. Have you ever felt uncomfortable? Here's a great quote from Warren Wiersbe. I think, do we have this quote? When God wants to move us occasionally, he has to make us uncomfortable. Isn't that true? Sometimes God has to make you uncomfortable to get you where he wants you to be. That's what we saw in Jacob. But as we read Romans, we know, we know God has a purpose. God has a plan. He'll always protect us. Beautiful, beautiful truth here. God is making Jacob into the man he wants him to be. And he's using these things to shape him and to mold him. Because his sons are now going to be the nation of Israel. Father, thank you for the word tonight in this uh, chapter I pray, Lord, for any in our fellowship that are going through hardships or trials or sickness. And I know some that are. Even for Debbie Lebo, who is facing colon cancer at this time. Father, I pray that as your children, we would turn to you by faith and be obedient through the trial, through the sickness. Believing, God, that you have a purpose and a plan. Believing that you are sovereign and and being obedient, even with, with fear, being obedient to you is more important. Listening and, and, and being flexible and pliable and doing what you call us to do is more important. So, Lord, help us and help anyone here tonight, Lord, that struggles in a difficult trial in their life. Lord, help them to understand that you'll protect them. There's nothing, nothing that can hurt them apart from your sovereign grace. And if they're uncomfortable, that you have a purpose and a plan. So Lord, have your will and way in our lives. We'll give you thanks and praise. Jesus, we pray. Amen.